want to turn your attention now to the book of Psalms as we look into the scriptures. The book of Psalms, this uh, first Sunday in uh, January of 2007, we look at Psalm 93, the majesty of God. Psalm chapter 93, the majesty of God. For it says in Psalm, right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 93, the majesty of God. It reads, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Thy throne is established from of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their pounding waves. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on his on high is mighty. Thy testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits thy house, O Lord, forevermore. This morning we are blessed once again to have a guest, and that is a very familiar face and very familiar friend, Dr. Overstreet, who teaches at Northwest Baptist Seminary in their homiletics department. We want to uh, give him a warm welcome as he comes forward this morning. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Great to be back with you folks. You may have noticed we got in a little late today. Typically, my wife and I leave in time so that we arrive here about half an hour in advance. And we did that this morning. But what we didn't expect was a major accident on northbound Interstate 5. And three lanes were closed and five state police cars and... The, it looked like a serious accident. And uh, so we sat there in traffic, waiting and waiting and listening to the news to try to find out what happened and watching the clock. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, we got here right at 1030. And as I walked in, Pastor Joe was sitting here getting a sermon ready. Because <laughs> he didn't know if we were going to make it. And, uh, but we, by God's grace, we're here. There are certain things you just can't control. Have you ever noticed that? And traffic happens to be one of those things. When we listened to the traffic report before we left our house this morning, everything sounded good except for some rain. Uh, but it changed rapidly. By the way, I noticed in your bulletin, I'm, going to ch- I'm changing subjects. In your bulletin, you have an announcement about doctrine and theology, Eastside Bible Study Group, Faith Walkers, Young Married Couples, Married Couples Bible Study, that part of the sheet. Notice down at the last entry, it says Married Couples Bible Study, and David, this is meeting at your place, I guess, or you're leading it or something. Anyway, it says we're going through the pursuit of holiness by Jerry Bridges and meet 9 a.m. every other Saturday morning. Uh, February 24th, from 9 a.m. till 12 noon, Jerry Bridges, the author of that book, which has sold over a million and a half copies, will be at Northwest Baptist Seminary for a seminar. And you are invited to come. So if that's your normal day, just plan to meet at Northwest Baptist Seminary and you'll, you'll interact with the author himself. 
Dr. Bridges is going to be here for a Doctor of Ministry module Monday through Friday. Uh, He'll be teaching uh, that entire week. He'll be speaking three times in chapel on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then Saturday morning from 9 till noon, he's doing a seminar, and it's open for anybody in the community. So um, my wife noticed that, and she pointed it out to me, and I'm happy to uh, inform you. So you're all invited to come and see Dr. Bridges in person and interact with him. You'll appreciate his ministry. And he has a real heart for the Lord, obviously. Well, Psalm 93 is our text this morning. And if you've uh, still got your Bible open there, I want you to think a little bit about some of the things that are going on in our world today. A lot of things over which we have no control. We uh, looked at things that are happening that just seem to be unrest across the globe. We've got problems with North Korea. We have problems with uh, nuclear power in Iran. And I heard on the news this morning that the British newspaper, the Times, the London Times, is reporting that Israel is planning a low-grade nuclear attack against Iran to wipe out the uh, Iranian nuclear thing. And of course, Israel denies it. And we've got new changes in Congress. We have a whole turnover in our Congress today. We have tsunamis not too long ago in our past. We have hurricanes not long ago in our past. Uh, We have emphasis on so-called global warming. Uh, It's hard to believe that when you go through the Cascades right now, and if you live in Colorado, but, you know, global warming is supposed to be a problem. And we have all these things, Iraq and Afghanistan and... Is this world out of control? Do you ever wonder that? Can we depend on our political leaders to get everything back in what we would think good order? I mean, just elect a new Congress and everything will be solved. Really? If we put another president in the White House, all the world's problems will go away. If we execute Saddam Hussein, everything is suddenly good. It just doesn't work that way, does it? And there are times as we look around us and we think, man, this world is just out of control. More than that, we've just recently gone through some storms right here in western Washington. Did your power go out? How many lost power? Oh, good. My wife and I are in great company. Ours was out for five days. Ours was out for five days. Anybody beat that? Aha, how long was yours out? Seven days. All right. Anybody beat seven? Yeah, one day is too long, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, ours was out five days. But the good thing was we only had to suffer through it three. And then we flew back east and left our house in the dark. Uh, We found out two days later the power came back on. And our son went over to check to make sure the house didn't burn down or anything. And it it was still there. So that was good. Uh, But, you know, we just have no control over these things. You know, you can't control the weather. You can't control the storms. You can't control what happens in the cascades with the avalanches and all that. You just, it, things are just seemingly at times just beyond control. So who is in charge of all this? God is. And that's exactly the point of Psalm 93. God is the universal king. Psalm 92 If you look at the title of Psalm 92, the Bible says it's uh, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. After Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity, 
And in the intervening centuries until the time of the New Testament, there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament that was made. It was called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint has this title in Psalm 92, but it adds a title in Psalm 93 that we don't have in our Bibles because it's not in the Hebrew text. It's in the Greek text of the Old Testament. And in Psalm 93, in the Septuagint, which tells us what the Jews were doing in that intertestamental time, they had a title on Psalm 93 that indicated it was to be read in the worship service the day before the Sabbath day. So on our Friday, when the synagogue services were meeting, they read Psalm 93. And then on Saturday, which was their Sabbath, they read Psalm 92. But Psalm 93 was designed and it was used in the church, in, in the Judaistic uh, tradition in a worship service of God. That's what they used it for. In their worship of God on the day before the Sabbath, this was the psalm that they used to point them to God, who is in charge. Then if you go on and you read Psalm 93, you find that God is in charge in Psalm 93 as well. In Psalm 93, God's in charge of people. But in Psalm 92, he's in charge of his creation. And specifically, of this world. And in this process, the psalmist is telling us we need to come before God and worship him. Worship him because he is the king. The universal king. Now, we stop to think about worship. What is worship? Uh, I've heard people say, after, for example, you sing three or four songs, wasn't it great to worship? So is singing three songs worship? Well, what happens if you only sing two? Or if you sing five? What happens if you don't sing at all? Can you still worship? What is worship? Well, I'm going to answer that question. I want you to write down a definition. Because if you're like I am, you have a tendency to forget things. If you write them down, it helps you remember them. I'm going to give you a definition that I like for worship. It's, it's, I can give you a real long, complicated one, but then I forget those. Let me give you one that's easy to get your hands around, all right? Worship is the adoration of God by those who know Him and respond to Him. I think you can get your hands around that. Worship is the adoration of God by those who know Him and respond to Him. I think you have to have both of those elements. You have to have a personal relationship with God. You have to know Him. But it's not just an intellectual kind of a knowledge. It's a knowledge which leads to a response. We respond to Him. It's the adoring of God. And this psalm calls God's people to do that, to worship Him. Why? And the psalm sets forth three characteristics of God which call us to worship Him. Notice verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed and girded Himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. What we find here in these first two verses is we are to worship God. He is the universal king, but he is the majestic king. Worship our majestic king. That's who God is. He is a God of majesty. 
Notice what the text says. It opens up with the words, the Lord reigns. The Lord is king. That's the idea. He reigns like a king reigns. That shouldn't surprise us. The Lord reigns. It starts out that way. Remember how many times through the Bible it tells us that he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And he is. 1 Timothy chapter 6 refers to God the Father and he is described as King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation chapter 19 refers to the Lord Jesus and it says about him that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. It shouldn't surprise us then that the psalmist says the Lord reigns. He reigns as king. Then it goes on to say he is clothed with majesty. Uh, Earthly kings and queens. We don't have too many around nowadays. But we have one that perhaps you're familiar with, the Queen of England. And one of these days, they, if, once she dies, they'll have a king. Uh, he's mostly a figurehead. She's mostly a figurehead. But on occasions, the Queen of England will actually put on royal garments. How many have ever been to England and seen the crown jewels? Anybody? Ah, there's a few of us. Aren't they majestic? And you walk through and you say, whoa. And that, that's just, you know, they put on the crown and they put on the royal robes. They array themselves and they say, I'm the queen. And people bow before them. They, that, that's what God is saying. The Lord is clothed with majesty. Imagine the most fabulous garments you can imagine. Imagine the most beautiful crown. Imagine the most majestic figure. You, you can't begin to imagine God. He is clothed with majesty. I asked that the song Majesty would be sung today. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. And the reason is because of the history of that particular song. Now, back a few years ago, I had heard the story of how Jack Hayford wrote that particular song, Majesty. And more recently, a few months ago, I was trying to find the story. And so the Internet is a marvelous research tool. And I went on the Internet and I searched all kinds of websites and I couldn't find it. I figured it had to be out there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. So I went back to an older research tool. It's called the Telephone. And I telephoned the church where Jack Hayford is pastor. I just called him up. And I talked to Jack Hayford's personal secretary. And I asked her, I said, I understand that there's a, there's a printed copy that gives the details of how Jack Hayford wrote the song Majesty. She said, yes, it's somewhere. <laughs> and I said, do you think you could find it and send me a copy? She said, let me check. She got back with me the next day. She said, I have found it. I'll fax it to you. There it is. I got the fax. I received it on May the 5th. By the way, his secretary's name at that time was Alita. And she sounded like she'd been around for a while. And uh, here's the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing because, as you can tell, it's single space and it's pretty long. I just want to read some parts of it. This is what Jack Hayford writes. In 1977, my wife and I spent our vacation in Britain, traveling throughout the land from the South Country in Wales to the northern parts of Scotland. It was the same year as Queen Elizabeth's 25th anniversary of her coronation. Symbols of royalty were abundantly present beyond the usual. 
One day, as Anna and I drove along, at once the opening lyrics and melody of majesty simply came to my heart. I continued driving, asking her to jot the words in the melody line in the notebook she had beside her. Because of this, she still insists that she wrote majesty. So powerfully did the sense of Christ Jesus, royalty, dignity, majesty fill my heart, I seemed to feel something new of what it meant to be his. And then he goes on to describe more. But the point is, if you go to England and you have an audience with the queen, how do you address the queen? You refer to her as her majesty. That's her title. You refer to a king as his majesty. That's his title. When Hayford wrote the song and he says, worship his majesty, he's not talking about some ethereal non-entity out there. He's talking about the title. Worship Christ. He is his majesty. He is the king. He is the one beyond all. That's what the psalmist is telling us. Worship God. He is clothed with majesty. He is the person of majesty himself. Worship him. What a marvel. He goes on to say, beyond that, verse 1, The Lord is clothed and girded himself with strength. God puts on strength like a soldier puts on his armor. In recent days, we have seen lots of pictures of soldiers. They're on the news on a regular basis. We see the American soldier ready to go out to battle. He puts on his body armor. He puts on all of his gear. He carries his weapons and he goes out to battle. He is dressed for warfare. And that's what this means here in verse 1. God has dressed himself with what? With his own strength. He doesn't need to have some extra thing put on him like American soldiers do. He doesn't need some extra piece of armor that he attaches. He himself is omnipotent. He is the God of strength. Worship him. The psalmist isn't done. All the stars. Yes, he created the huge universe around us. But it's on this earth where we live. It's here in this world that we experience the moving of God's power and strength. This is where we are called to worship him. So worship God. It goes on to say in verse 2, Your throne is established from old. The world, we look at it and we say the world is established. The world's here. The world's been here. It circles the earth. It circles the sun. and It has its orbit. And we have sunrise and sunset. And it's established. God says, more than that, my throne is established. Indeed, the day is coming when this world is going to be destroyed. When God's done with it, he's going to put it aside. Revelation 21 tells us he's going to make a new world, a new earth, a new heaven. This world will be gone. But for now, we're here to enjoy what God has established. And more than that, his throne is established. It's from old. Indeed, it says he's from everlasting. He's eternal. There's no end. So we worship God because he's the majestic God. Worship our majestic God. Now, if you've got a God and he has strength and he rules over a world, then you would expect him to control something, wouldn't you? Kings give orders. Kings are in authority. Kings rule. So how does God rule? And over what? 
does he rule? Verse 3 and 4, talk about that. We worship our majestic king in verses 1 and 2. We worship our controlling king in verse 3 and 4. Notice verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. You notice that repetition of the word floods? Whenever the Bible repeats itself, it's not because God ran out of words to say. It's repeated for emphasis. There's, there's something about the floods. Now, the word that's used here is used about 120, the word for floods is used about 120 times in the Old Testament. It refers to rivers. Rivers that overflow their banks. Now, here in western Washington, we see that too. Every year, we see rivers that flood. There are news reports, and occasionally you'll see it on the television, where some river has overflowed its banks to such an extent that homes are swept away, buildings are destroyed, cars are... You, I, there was one picture on the news a few weeks ago that showed a car going down the river. I mean, floods just sweep things away in their path. Who can control that kind of thing? You know, we stand there and we just watch it happen. And we wait for it to finally dissipate. We can't control it. God does. God's in control of it. He says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods lift up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Pounding. The idea is that the waves that just can destroy, physically deteriorate it. That's what floods do. And God controls the floods. Now, verse 4 takes it a step further. It says, More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. Now he moves to the seas. He's moving out to the Mediterranean where he lived. In our case, it'd be the Pacific. Have you ever been on the Pacific coast and watched the breakers come in? I mean, in a big storm. Uh, back shortly after my wife and I moved to Washington, we were down on the Oregon coast. We were in a restaurant which was alongside the Pacific Ocean, and it was a stormy night and evening, early evening, because we could still see out there. And we were watching the, the breakers just, just one after another coming in and just crashing, and the waves just the surf pounding up. And we watched a couple of people that were walking right down alongside it. And she and I both said, whoa, I'm not going out there. And every once in a while you'll hear of somebody who gets too close. And the breakers come in and sweep over them and just pull them right out to sea. And you know what happens after that. Most of the time they die. And you look at that enormous power. Last night on the news, we were listening to the weather report for today. On the Washington coast... 19-foot swells was what they were predicting. Now, 19 feet, that's a lot of water. Can you imagine a wave 19 feet high? How'd you like to be out there? I would prefer not to be. You know, who controls that kind of thing? Who can, you know, we stand there and we are, we are in awe by the breakers of the sea. We're in awe at the power of the ocean. Notice what verse 4 says. More than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. More than the breakers of the sea. 
The Lord on high is mighty. Now we look at the, the enormous power of the water. We say, nobody can stop that. And God says, I can. I control it. I'm the one in charge of it. That huge weather storm that comes in, God says, I'm directing that. Yeah, I know, you watch the weather and they talk about the jet stream and all this. And who do you think moves all that stuff? God says, I do. He's the controlling king. He controls this restless nature that's around us. Worship him. There's another thing about verse 4. It says, the Lord on high. What the psalmist is doing is saying, take a moment and just look up to heaven. That's where God's throne is. Look up there. The Lord on high, the Lord up in heaven. He is mighty. That God who's up there, seemingly beyond our reach and beyond our imagination and beyond our access. He says, look to him. And when you do, remember what the Lord Jesus said. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. You ever make that connection? That God on high. That God who seems to be beyond us and above us and so far out of our reach. Jesus says, he's your father. Come before him. What a marvel. Worship our God. Worship our majestic God, verse 1 and 2 says. Worship our controlling God, the one who controls all of nature around us. He's in control of this world. Worship him. Now, those two things alone would be enough. The psalmist could have stopped right there and we would be in awe. But he doesn't. He takes it a step further yet in verse 5. And he says, not only must you worship your majestic God, not only must we worship our controlling God, but we also worship our faithful God. And he is faithful. Look what the psalmist writes in verse 5. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Your testimonies. I don't know if you've ever been called into court to give testimony. I've only been called in one time in my entire life to give testimony. I was called to serve on jury duty once. Got interviewed for two juries and didn't get chosen for either one. But my wife has been on jury duty and she actually got to be on two trials. So I'm somewhat envious. But uh, once I was called to give testimony, I saw an automobile accident and I was called in to give testimony. The assumption is when you are called to give testimony, you know, they in those days, I don't know if they still do this. I, my left hand was placed on a Bible. You raise your right hand, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And I did. And then the, they were asking questions. Did you see this accident? Yes. Did this individual run the red light? Yes. Then, you know, is that the reason why the accident? Yes. This guy did it. I mean, he ran a red light and bang. And that was the reason. The judge looked at the guy, you're guilty. And that was that. And I was out of there. It was almost that quick, too. Uh, 
you, know, you give testimony. The assumption is you're going to give a testimony which is true. You're going to give a testimony which is accurate. You're going to give a testimony which is faithful. And that's exactly the assumption about God. Notice it says in verse 5, Your testimonies are fully confirmed. What God says is true. You can count on it. Now, what does God say? Where do we find it? Right there. Turn with me to Psalm 119. Keep your finger here in Psalm 94. Turn with me over to Psalm 119. And look at verse 89. It may very well be that some of you have this verse memorized. Psalm 119, verse 89. All got it? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You can count on it. God's word's settled. You can just count on it. That's exactly what Psalm 93 is saying. Your testimonies are fully confirmed. But then the psalmist takes it one step farther yet. Notice in Psalm 93, he says, Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The NIV translates this, adorns your house. Other versions translate it, beautify your house. This, interestingly enough, this word is only used two other times in the Old Testament. Once it's used in the Song of Solomon. When the bridegroom is describing the bride and he looks at her cheeks and says, you're beautiful. That's one other time this word's used. The next time it's used is in the book of Isaiah. And I want you to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah chapter 52. It's just a few pages after Psalms. Well, if you look at my Bible, it's about that many pages. Not very far. Isaiah chapter 52, on page 990. Well, if you had exactly the same kind of Bible I do. But I want you to read with me. You follow along. Psalm, Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely, that's our word, how beautiful, same word that's used in Psalm 93. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Now I want you to notice something intriguing between Psalm 93 and Isaiah 52 verse 7. Psalm 93 begins, the Lord reigns. Isaiah 52, 7 ends with, your God reigns. Isaiah 52, 7 begins with beauty. Psalm 93 ends with beauty. They both have the same theme, but they're looking at it from the opposite angles. Psalm 93 starts out, God reigns, His holiness is beautiful. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful is the message of salvation that comes from God. God reigns. I don't think it's an accident that the writers look at this from the different perspectives that they do. Holiness beautifies God's house, the temple. 
You think in terms of the temple of Israel that Solomon constructed with all of its majesty, its gold, and its fabulous work that was accomplished, and the pillars that were around it. And the, and the psalmist is saying, that's not what makes it beautiful. What makes it beautiful is not the gold. What makes it beautiful is not the pillars. What makes it beautiful is not the altars and all of that. What makes it beautiful is the holiness of God. It is His presence that makes it beautiful. And that God has made salvation available to you and me. That's what Isaiah says. That God. That God who is holy. That God who is majestic. That God who reigns over this world has made himself available to you and to me by granting us the privilege of having him in our lives by salvation. The temple of Israel is gone. Destroyed. Not in existence any longer. But God's temple is still here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that you and I, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, verse 19 tells us that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And as a result, you and I, we are the temple of God. God's temple is still here. You are His temple if you've trusted Him as your Savior. God has chosen to dwell in us. That God who controls the universe. That God who can control the breakers of the sea. That God who is so majestic that we can't begin to comprehend Him. That God who has given us His word in faithfulness and truth. Says, I bring you to myself. In my salvation. I make you my temple. Holiness beautifies the temple of God. So the question for you, the question for me, how beautiful is God's temple? The beauty of God's temple doesn't depend on our height, on our weight, on the color of our hair, on how many blemishes we have on our skin. That's not what makes it beautiful. What makes God's temple beautiful is holiness. That's what makes it beautiful. In your life, in your temple, in this temple right here, how much holiness is there? How beautiful is God's house? How beautiful is it in your life? The only way we can have holiness is by trusting the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And then by giving our lives fully to Him. And when we do, God lives in us and through us to make us like His Son. Conform us to the image of Christ. And when that takes place, we can show forth the very holiness of God. Worship God. Worship is the adoration of God by those who know Him and respond to him. Let's us respond by trusting him, by living lives that honor him, by letting this temple demonstrate holiness. 
you may wonder, how can you do it? Let me give you a suggestion. Start with Psalm 93. And this afternoon, this evening, before this day is over, pray your way through Psalm 93. Just pray your way through it. Start out, the Lord reigns. God, I thank you. You are the king of the world. You are the king of the universe. I thank you that you reign. He is clothed with majesty. Pray about that. And as you get down to the end, pray for holiness. That God will show it in your life. Work your way through the psalm. It's a good start. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. We can't begin to understand and comprehend the greatness of your person. We'll never be able to fully just grasp how majestic you are. And yet, you have revealed yourself to us. And you have brought us salvation through the Lord Jesus. And you want to reign in us as your temple. Lord, help us to give you our lives today. If some are here and have never trusted Christ as Savior, that's where it has to begin for them. Lord, we pray that before they leave today, that they'll come to know Christ. For those of us that have already trusted him as Savior, Lord, help us to give you our lives fully. To let your spirit work in us that we would lead holy lives as the temple of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.